Is your business plan very unclear and you're tirelessly working at a low-paying career? Let's help you get out of the rut and let go of the fear. It's time to excel into the million-dollar stratosphere. Now, here's your host of The Balanced Millionaire, who will take you there, Eileen Mendel. consultant, author, and speaker, and your host of this show. Our mission is to inspire, empower, and educate business professionals to achieve higher levels in their lives and careers. So instead of stumbling, we can learn from those who have already gotten past the hurdles. My guests are intellectually stimulating and thought-provoking, offering valuable insight to help you get ahead. And if you would like to be a sponsor or guest on my show, please contact me at Eileen at TheBalancedMillionaire.com. And of course, you can always connect with me on Facebook or LinkedIn and or LinkedIn at The Balanced Millionaire, as well as through my website at www.TheBalancedMillionaire.com. So we have a a great guest for you tonight. His name is Andrew Mellon. He is located in New York City, the Big Apple. And Andrew is a keynote speaker, coach, productivity, and organizational expert, and number one best-selling author of Unstuff Your Life, as well as The Most Organized Man in America's Guide to Moving. So this is going to be a show for everyone. Andrew has helped over 100,000 people and businesses worldwide to remove physical and time clutter So they regain time for the things that matter. He likes to say, give me two hours once and I'll give you an hour back every day for the rest of your life. So a sought after authority on productivity and organizing, Andrew's addressed audiences from TEDx, YPRO, and Dwell on Design to the great British business show, Seattle Interactive, ICF Converge, and blog, Blog Her. Corporate clients, his corporate clients include New York Mets baseball franchise, American Express, NetApp, Genentech, Goldman Sachs, Metropolitan Metropolitan Museum of Art, Nationwide Insurance, Time Inc., and the U.S. Departments of Education and Homeland Security. The media has dubbed Andrew the most organized man in America. He's written for and or appeared everywhere from the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, and Fast Company, to CBS Morning, HGTV, and NPR. He hosts the popular podcast called Unstuff America on iTunes. So welcome to our show, Andrew. You can tell people a little bit more about yourself as we go along. And um, let's start out with how you got into this business of managing time and (laughs) physical things. Sure, of course, Eileen. Thanks so much for having me on the show. It's great to be here with you. Uh, So, you know, this work uh, began for me about 22, 23 years ago. I was co-producing an an award ceremony at the Kennedy Center, and one of our awardees was a Nobel Peace Prize winner based in New York City. And so I came up from D.C. to his office to get some photographs, and they were a mess. 
they were missing, mislabeled, misfiled, and in the process of pulling together the photos that I needed, um, uh, apparently something about the way that I was doing my work impressed uh, the Nobel Peace Prize winner and his wife, so they asked me if I would like to organize their photographs for them when I was finished with this assignment producing this award ceremony. I said, sure, I'd love to do that, and we made a date for me to go to work, and uh, the day before I was supposed to go to work, they called up and rescheduled, and they did this actually three times, so I never went to work for them. But in those four months, I told every person I met, I've got this amazing gig. I'm going to create a comprehensive photographic archive for a Nobel Peace Prize winner. And that led to a friend of mine referring me to an accountant who needed a filing system. I built that for her. And then she started referring me to clients of hers. So people would literally show up on my doorstep with a duffel bag full of receipts saying, I haven't filed my taxes in five years. I've got letters in here from the IRS. I am freaked out. I don't want to go to jail. Can you make sense out of all this paperwork before everything blows up? And I would uh, take the receipts. I'd organize them. I would put them into QuickBooks. I'd give them back to the accountant. The accountant would file their taxes. And these people were like, oh, my God, you're amazing. You have saved my life. And they would tell all their friends, you'll never believe what this guy did. I gave him a pile of garbage, and he turned it into tax returns. And that was how my business began 23 years ago. So it was um, it was completely organic in that I never thought that this is what I would be doing. I thought I'd be working in the theater and making plays and doing doing that kind of work for the rest of my life. That's really interesting that it was just serendipity that you had this skill set that you kind of un you uncovered or somebody else actually mentioned to you that, you know, this is a great skill set. We need you. And yeah. you went forward and took that as inspiration to create your business. So tell us some of the um, things that you have encountered. Um, I know you just mentioned a few people, you know, trying to get themselves organized to file taxes. Um, what are some of the messy things that you've encountered um, for big and small organizations that you can share with us? Well, sure. Uh, the work that I've done for my clients on the B2C side, so when we're talking about uh, direct consumer clients that I've worked with, it, mostly in residential applications like in their homes, uh, that could be anything from a relocation to uh, helping, uh, I've helped private clients, uh, several with uh, renovations to their homes, sometimes acting as uh, a client representative interfacing with architects, interior designers, contractors to make sure that the client's wishes are being heard and executed against that um, that they're not being ignored or somehow being uh, run over by tradespeople who are trying to get what they want done as opposed to necessarily what the client wants done. So I, I've I've provided that role for several clients uh, as a as their advocate in in those relationships. I've moved clients uh, around the city, around the country, around the world. I've. Uh, I've helped them declutter. I've helped settle estates. So when somebody loses a partner, somebody loses a parent, uh, cleaning out those homes, processing through everything, selling whatever can be sold, figuring out where things need to be donated, letting go of the things that are nobody wants and that are not worth any money, figuring out what we can do with all of those things. Always, of course, trying to avoid things ending up in landfill. Those are kind of some of the kinds of assignments that I, I do for private clients. And then 
my corporate clients, like you've mentioned, like the Metropolitan Museum of Art, I helped them with a reorganization of their conservation department. The Met is obviously one of the leading museums in the world, and every every department inside the overall conservation department, so there's textiles, there's stained glass, there's marble, there's other kinds of sculpture, there's painting. Every one of those sub-departments have their own needs around materials, around spaces to be able to do their work, and they were uh, they were having some challenges navigating their building. They're, they were waiting to get a new building built, and so I worked with them to figure out ways that they could share resources more uh, easily uh, to also help. I mean, even though they're a, you know a large organization, they are a nonprofit, and and like every nonprofit, they would prefer to save money wherever they could. So I helped them figure out ways to be able to share resources more effectively and more efficiently, uh, how to rearrange their storage so that they could find things easier. Um, that was uh, that was a great project. I loved working with them. You know, for um, uh, the New York Mets, I helped them migrate from cubicles into an open floor plan. There's 250 employees, and they needed to know how to work with each other and and move from where they used to have more storage space into less individual storage space. And so I worked with all of the individual employees as well as all the departments there to figure out how they would navigate that transition from traditional cubicles into an open floor plan. Uh, you know, so, I mean, again, the work that I do with corporate clients, I, I do trainings all over the world around specifically time management and organization. And uh, some of the sectors that I work with there are uh, banking and finance, insurance, uh, healthcare, uh, and then a general kind of wellness, uh, quality of life kinds of um, kinds of uh, training uh, uh, programming. It's interesting. Um, a lot of people put organization into the back burner, and mm -hmm. I've actually, um, when I was working, you know, actually in academia in a scientific laboratory early in my career, um, I saw like a lot of stuff, you know, stuff being stuffed everywhere that was like not the right place for it. And right. um, so I began to clean up, including dead mice and things like that that were stuffed into a freezer. <laughs> that um, it was like amazing the things that, you know, had to be like tossed away and disposed of, et cetera. Um, how do you convince, sometimes people like to hold on to things for one reason or another, or just delay even facing reality that we've got to clean up. So what's the first step um, in the whole process? Because there's a, a, a mental mindset also that goes behind this whole cleanup and getting organized. You know, people are just, uh, you know, they're just, it just sends um, fear and loathing <laughs> into many people. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So I will say that um, uh, you're completely you're completely spot on with your observations and and your question. Uh, I often talk to people of, that it is it's the stuff behind the stuff that typically keeps people stuck. It's very seldom the object itself. It's the story that people are bringing, and often that story is fiction. It's not 
uh, it's not based in any sort of commonly understood reality. It's very specific to the person. And <clears throat> what I will often do is encourage people to address the story so that we look at, is this an, is this an important story? Is it a story that's worth telling still? Uh, are you ready to let go of the story? Because if you can let go of the story, then you can let go of the object. It seldom will the object linger if the story if you if you can dissipate the story if you can let go of the story we can usually let go of the object and you're also right people tend to think of organizing and even time management as a soft skill without taking into consideration that there are very real hard costs to disorganization the uh, the average person will waste one year of their life looking for lost or misplaced items it's a stunning statistic, and I think if anybody, if you ask anybody, would you, how important is this object in your life? Would you give up a year of your life to keep it? Few people would say, "Oh yes, this is worth a this is worth a year of my life." So I call this nickel and diming ourselves out of a year of our life because it's five minutes here, it's ten minutes there, and there's a statistic that says that the average adult tells two hundred lies a day. And to be clear. Uh, two-thirds of them are never actually spoken out loud. They're just lies that we tell ourselves, and then a, a third of them we probably actually say to other people. But if we, if we look at that and we think about the lies that we tell ourselves around those five minutes and those ten minutes, right? Like, I'm going to make up that lost time. I know a shortcut. Uh, there's a way to close that gap, but the truth is once the time's been spent, the time has been spent, you're not going to get the time back. And it's, it's insidious, and it is incredibly detrimental, whether you're an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, or you're running a Fortune 50 com company. It doesn't matter. The impact is just geometrically felt when you're talking about a Fortune 50 company with you know tens of thousands of employees versus an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, or a small business owner. But for every every five or ten minutes, it adds up, and sadly, it will add up to a, a potentially a year or more of your life when everything is totaled up. So it, people shouldn't take it lightly. And another statistic that I'll just share with the listening audience is we are interrupted by communications technology every 10 minutes, and on average, it takes 23 minutes to recover from one of those interruptions. So that, again, is very simple math. Two interruptions and two recoveries could mean an entire hour lost. So if you get to the end of your day and you think, God, I was crazy busy today, I got nothing done, it's very likely that you are constantly being interrupted. You did your best to recover, but you got nothing done, and then you will tell yourself one of your 200 lies. I'm going to stay late at the office. Now that, now that it's quiet, I'm going to do my, and I'm making air quotes, you can't see this, but I'm going to do my real work now. Now that I've put out all the fires and I've managed to get through everybody else's crap, now I'm going to do my real work, which is, again, it's just diminishing returns. Staying until 8, 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night, if you could have been doing that work during the regular business hours, that has, it, it, there's added stress, impact. If you're in any sort of a relationship, there's impact there because you're not available and showing up at home to be with your partner or your kids or your partner and your kids, your parents, uh, whoever the other people are that you're in relationship with. So it's super clear to me, and I certainly want to make it clear to anybody who's listening, to, to diminish the impact of disorganization and poor time management is really going to mess you up big time 
with with severe and long-lasting consequences. So most businesses and most individuals, even in their home life, get caught up in the whirlwind chaos of being distracted by, you know, spam phone calls and, um, you know, emails and texts and um, social media. And how do we tune ourselves out so we can get focused on the most important things in our lives so we don't waste time? What are some tips you can give us? Sure. Well, I would encourage everyone to do a few simple core value exercises, either by yourself or with your team, with your family, so that you can get crystal clear on what is important to you instead of it being a vague sense. Because most people, if you say, do you know what's important to you? They will say, yes, my family is important to me or my career is important to me or my company is important to me. Well, let's drill down a little more specifically, what is it exactly, and how important is it to you? Would you die for it? Where's the where's that line that you would draw in the sand after which you would say, well, it is important, but it's not that important, right? Uh, yeah. Victor Frankel, in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, talks about the people who... Uh, who were in the in the concentration camps during the Holocaust, uh, during the Second World War? What he what he discovered was that uh, people who disconnected from their values declined very rapidly in under, under those circumstances, even if they previously were quite healthy and in good shape. Whereas the people who even if they were physically compromised and in poor health, if they remained in touch with their values, actually had greater survival ability than people who were physically healthier than they were, but were more downtrodden and, and disconnected from the things that mattered to them. So the first place I would encourage anybody to go is to, to specifically call out what is important to you, what are those values that you can't live without, and then start to build your day based on living in alignment with those. It will become much easier to not get distracted by a ringing telephone if you didn't plan to answer the phone during that block of time where you were writing a report or you were writing a blog post or you were uh, preparing uh, a proposal, whatever, whatever the high value or you know, showing up on time for your kid's soccer game. It doesn't matter what the activity is, but if that is what's important to you and you build your day based on being in alignment with those things, it becomes much easier to shut out the noise. The noise, it is definitely a distraction, but it's also, uh, it's a bit of a red herring question because we all know how to do the things that really matter to us when we want to do them. And it becomes... It becomes a, a, an excuse to say, oh, I was distracted by so-and-so. Now, I mean, if you have ADHD or you have difficulty staying focused, first of all, you need to figure out how long you can stay focused before you get distracted. And that's a simple exercise that you just use a timer or you can use an app like Toggle, T-O-G-G-L. There's no E in Toggle. You could use an app like that or you could use um, 
just a, an egg timer to, to time yourself and see how long you can stay focused when you're working on a task and where your breaking point is. And that becomes your new sweet spot. So you start to, if you can only work in seven minute increments, then you work in seven minute increments. You have no business setting a timer for 30 minutes. And then after seven minutes, you've lost track of time and you're not, you're no longer being productive. So that's, that's, a strategy, but the bigger thing, as you mentioned at the very beginning, is it's a mindset construct. If you want to live in alignment with your values, it's very easy to do it. The rest of it is all baloney. You can you can easily make those choices, barring again some sort of a diagnosis of ADHD or some some physical inability to stay focused. And you can always isolate yourself from uh, distractions. Even if you're not the CEO of a company, you can easily put yourself in a conference room. If it's, if it's possible for you to telecommute, you should be telecommuting as often as possible instead of going into the office if that's a source of interruptions and distractions for you. There's plenty of ways to stay focused. When you mentioned um, the Holocaust um, and uh, Viktor Frankl, what brought to mind is my own family fled um, Nazi Germany to um, get rid of, you know, get out of the Holocaust situation. And my dad, um, who was 14 years old when he arrived in the U.S., graduated without knowing any English. He only knew how to speak German, but graduated at, as one of the tops in his high school class. And as a gift, my grandpa had given him a sweater which I remember till the day he died, he kept that sweater as in his drawer as a reminder of his achievements in getting and becoming successful in the United States after being uprooted from the Holocaust. And like you sure. said, um, it's um, people who get worn down and, and start not caring. Um, it's, you know, giving up basically to the distractions and the disorganization of you know, the chaos of what can just by happenstance drop into your life rather than um, consciously being aware of here's my values, here's where I draw the line. And, and is that something that you teach people to um, come up with ways to remind themselves, here's where I draw the line? Sure. Well, I mean, again, once we know what your values are, it becomes the foundation for all of the choices that when I'm working with a client that we're making and then certainly beyond any work that I'm doing with the client to encourage them to we we, we build structures into their day, uh, into their calendar so that they are they're constantly in dialogue with those values and basing their choices on them. So, yes, most definitely. So give us some specific methods, um, now that you've taught us the mindset, specific methods that you use for the physical part of the organization. Now that people know what's important and what's not important and the stories that they're telling, whether they're true or false or they want to give them up and release. Because you know, a lot of people have been through divorces um, or bad you know, relationships and but they still hold on to things i mean what's what's that all about <laughs> How well you i mean let that go? Uh, it, i mean so, in some cases it's a it's a reaction to trauma uh and depending on i mean so you've thrown a few things out there so let's 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 first all 
first of all, talk about the organizational triangle, which is if you will put your two thumbs together and your two index fingers together to form a triangle, uh, and then anybody who's listening along can also be doing this as well. So this is just the easy way to remember the organizational triangle. And, and there are really only three uh, rules to getting and staying organized. The first two rules we use to get organized, the third rule we use to stay organized. So the first two rules are one home for everything, and the second rule is like with like. Those are the first two legs of the organizational triangle. One home for everything and like with like. One home for everything means everything has one home and only one home, and that's not open to debate. Now, where you keep your keys can be different from where I keep my keys, different from where your producer keeps his keys, his keys have a home, your keys have a home, my keys have a home. They can only ever be one of two places, in our hand unlocking something or in their home. You apply this rule, you'll be able to find anything in 30 seconds or less, guaranteed. The second rule, like with like, means all like objects live together, not most of them. So you don't keep most of your tools in the toolbox, but keep the screwdriver in the junk drawer in your kitchen because you've got a story that says, oh, the knobs on these cabinets are always a little loose, and I don't want to go out to the garage to get that screwdriver. I'm just going to keep it in the junk drawer. This is a shortcut. This is actually going to save me time. But the truth is you don't remember that the flathead screwdriver is there, so every time you want to tighten those knobs, you go out to the garage first. You go looking for the flathead screwdriver. You can't find it. Perhaps you even go to Home Depot or Lowe's or Ace or someplace and pick up a new flathead screwdriver, and then three weeks later you're rummaging in the junk drawer and you find that flathead screwdriver and think, crap, here it is. Uh, who put it here? Like, why is it even here? It belongs out in the garage. And then you might even remember, oh, no, I thought that this was a hack. This was a time management hack, so I'm going to keep it here. And then the whole cycle starts all over again. You forget that it's there until you go looking for it. You don't remember it's there. You possibly replace it, and on and on. So one home for everything and like with like will cure 85% of anybody's disorganization at home or the office. The way that we stay organized, which is really the problem, getting organized is not hard. Assigning a home to everything and putting like objects together is not difficult. People who are listening, possibly even you, have done this over and over again. Staying organized is actually the real problem because every time there's a bump in the road or a hiccup, that's when people stop putting things away or stop grouping like with like and say, oh, I'm too busy right now, which is baloney, and I'm going to come back to this later, which is baloney, and I'll do it some other undescribed, unspecified time. Right now, I'm far too busy to deal with it. It takes the same amount of time. It's just you're just doing bad math in your head. But be that as it may, right? Staying organized just requires something in, something out. Because once everything has a home and all like objects are together, you don't really need to be accumulating anything. Particularly if you were, if you were struggling to get organized, it probably means you have more things than you need. So you actually let some things go. Once we achieve a state, a state of stuff equilibrium and we have enough stuff, there's really no reason to be accumulating new things unless the only, the only time you would bring something new in is because you're replacing something or upgrading something. You don't need more computers. You just need to replace the computer that you're currently using because there's a new one that's faster or more stable and you want to replace it. In which case, the old computer leaves. You don't then put it in the closet and say, 
someday I'll harvest those files and those images off that computer, but not right now. If the computer was failing, and that's why you chose to replace it in the first place, in which logic stream would it make sense that in six months or a year, that computer would boot up and you'd be able to easily harvest the data off it now if it's, if it's failing now? So why in six months or a year in the future would it be any more stable or any more likely to be functioning? It's just, again, it's just bad math and, and story that you're telling yourself. Does that make sense? Yes. Well, we're going to go to a quick break, Andrew, because I am absolutely nodding and smiling because I, I <laughs> see my, some myself in, in what you just said. And I think a lot of people out there are probably nodding and smiling Yes, that's true. But let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Great. My business has lost its upward momentum. I'm working up to 14 hours a day, but my sales seem to have plateaued. I'm so overwhelmed. I used to have that same problem, but ever since I found the Balanced Millionaire Consulting Firm, our sales and profits have risen sharply. Even our staff is more engaged and the atmosphere is full of energy. I have no time to work on my business to develop new sales and marketing strategies. I would love to expand, have strategic partnerships and access to financing. You can do all of that and more. The Balanced Millionaire Consulting Team advises you on streamlining your operations, establishing alliances, and most importantly, increasing your revenues and profits. Let us help you build value and reduce stress in your business. Take charge. Don't let your business control your life. Visit TheBalancedMillionaire.com or call 442-224-0160 for a free consultation. That's 442-224-0160 or TheBalancedMillionaire.com. Eileen Mendel, founder and CEO of The Balanced Millionaire. Who are we and what is our mission? We are a strategic business advisory firm dedicated to advancing leadership and business growth. Listen to what our clients have to say about us. I was blessed to meet Eileen. She has done numerous things for my business, from giving me professional advice to introducing me to new connections and going as far as finding me new team members. I cannot say enough about you and your business for the help they have given to my company. I've been working with the Balanced Millionaires team. They've helped me in setting up a concrete plan to get my business to the next level. Eileen is a cheering, inspiring and benevolent advisor. Knowing that she's gone through the same challenges gives me the confidence that I'm on the right track. If you are a growing seven or eight figure business that is ready to reach new heights, contact us at info at thebalancemillionaire.com. That's info at thebalancemillionaire.com. We're back everyone and I have my guest, Andrew Mellon the most organized man in America as my guest. And Andrew, you are getting into some techniques that we can use in our lives and in our businesses to organize ourselves. So let's yep. continue with that conversation. You have some more things to add. Yeah, so after you've mastered the organizational triangle, which is super easy, right? Just the three legs, one home for everything, like with like, something in 
something out. Then we can talk about a, a, another form of practice, which is I like to call keys, phone, wallet, bag, because those are the things that people tend to miss the most. So your keys, as I said, your keys have a home. And when I say a home, I mean a specific residence. Like you have a street address. That is your home. You don't just live in a city and someplace in that city. I mean, unless you're homeless, right? God forbid. You, you actually have an address that you go to. That's your real home. It's the same thing with every object. We don't just say, oh, it lives somewhere in the kitchen. That's not specific enough. So your keys have a home, and that could be a hook just inside your door. It could be in a decorative dish on a little table just inside your door. I don't care what it is. Mine live in a, in a rice bowl that I brought back from a trip to India that I took, and that's where my keys and my wallet and all the money in my pocket gets emptied into as soon as I walk into my into my apartment everything gets emptied into that rice bowl so I never have to wonder where my keys are or my wallet is my mobile phone is the only phone that I have and so in every room that I'm in there is a home for my mobile phone which is either a decorative dish or a tray at my desk in my bedroom so that it doesn't get lost in or under the bed, because when I'm in the bedroom, it goes in its home in the bedroom. When I'm in the office, it goes in its office home. So I can always keep track of my mobile phone, because if it's on silent and I ask you to call it because I can't find it, it's not. It, maybe it's going to vibrate. Maybe the battery's dead, and I'm not going to find it. So it's important to know where it is. Same thing with your wallet. If I mean, for guys and uh, gals who don't necessarily keep their wallet in their bag, you're going to need to know where that is. And if it is in your bag, then we need a home for your bag as well. So do you just set the bag down on the floor when you walk in? Do you just set it on the kitchen counter? It needs a home so that when you're looking for your bag, you can find it easily and quickly. And so those are the fundamentals. If you can master those, and then coming right behind those would be any sort of snail mail so that when you bring uh, mail into your home, Again, you don't just set it down on, a, on the first surface that you see. It goes into its home. And whether that's a decorative wicker basket or a salad bowl or uh, I don't care what it is, but there needs to be a home that it goes into. And whether you open the mail once a day or once a week, you'll never be late on paying a bill. And you need it to be someplace that you can find and where, if you live with other people, where they can find the mail, too. Or, again, if, you're, if it's the office, it, the other people that you work with, that they can find the mail. So we want to break the habit of, and this is something that we were talking about on the break, right? Mindfulness right. is nothing more than paying attention. We don't do anything unconsciously. We don't do anything not deliberately when it comes to physical objects, because that's where confusion and loss starts to happen. So, and that is a practice just like anything else. I mean, when we first learned how to tie our shoes, we didn't know how to tie our shoes. And now we can do it. And we think that it's, I'm making air quotes again, second nature, like you don't have to pay attention, but you do still pay attention. So people need to just bring awareness to whatever they're doing. You don't just set something down randomly and keep walking. You make a deliberate choice. This is where I'm placing it, and now I'm going to do the next thing that I'm doing. Now, some people have habits that they refuse to change. You, <laughs> what are some techniques to get people to 
you know, trade one habit for a good habit, a bad habit? Well, again, it, it goes back to your values. If it matters to you, you'll do it. If it doesn't matter to you, then there's no amount of cajoling or shaming or teasing or pleading or begging or yelling or screaming that's going to get somebody to change their behavior in any sort of sustainable way. If, if it's not tied into something that matters to them more than what they're already doing, they're not going to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This comes up all the time with stuff discordant couples, right, where one of the partners is more organized than the other one, and it doesn't really matter to the other one uh, that crap is laying around and they get undressed and they just leave their clothes on the floor. It matters to the, to the partner that it matters to, but it doesn't matter to the partner that it doesn't matter to. And I always tell people, you know who you married. This should not be a surprise to you. This, you didn't just, you're not just discovering this. And do you want to be happy or do you want to be right? Those are your choices. If you want to stay married to this person, then you're either going to pick up after them or you're going to not have it matter as much to you either. Or you're going to live separately. You're going to do like a Stieglitz and O'Keefe thing where each of you has your own residence and you sleep over each other's homes, but you live independently where you have control over your environment. But really, in the, at the end of the day, it's just stuff. So how important do you want to make it versus a, a relationship that you're actually committed to? And at the same time, don't be surprised if the person that you're in a relationship with behaves exactly the way they have always behaved. So, I mean, it's all, you know, you're talking about something like the odd couple, Felix and Oscar, Oscar being the slob, so to speak, and Felix having more OCD. Um, yeah, I mean, those are extremes. Um, yeah. But but you said that there can be some kind of compromise. Because um, I see, you know, I mean, there is a lot of, um, you know, I see those kind of discrepancies all the time in marriages and even in business environments, whatever, where, you know, I mean, there can get, it could be tolerated for only so long because <laughs> it could well, blow yeah, up. That's the difference between, I mean, there's a difference between tolerating and compromise, right? The compromise is we have a team conversation and say, it's difficult to be as productive as we'd like to be. And this is at home or at the office. It's as difficult for it's difficult for the house to function in the way we want it to or in the office. It's difficult to be as productive as we want to be the way that things are currently organized. I, I it's a problem for me. Is it a problem for anybody else? Does anybody else find their productivity and efficiency compromised because of the way that things currently are? If you get agreement, then you have common ground to begin to, to be able to collaborate on a collective solution. If nobody agrees with you, if you're the only person who's being compromised, you need a different, and I, I realize I'm using the word compromise in two contexts. If you're the only person who is experiencing the, the impact of the disorganization, then you're the one who has to change. But if you have consensus, if everybody says, yes, no, it is hard to find stuff, and I do find that I'm spending unnecessary time looking for office supplies or trying to find this or trying to find these files online on the server. They're not often where they're supposed to be or they're not always labeled the same way. If you can get consensus, then you have common ground to begin to come up with a common solution. The goal in those moments is not for you 
as the person who brought up the conversation to impose a system on everybody else, but to come up with a collaborative solution. Because if everybody has buy-in to that solution, then everybody has a stake in, per in uh, perpetuating it. If it's just about complying with your demands, the people are only going to comply until you until you stop badgering them or policing them, and then they will go back to the lowest common denominator. They will go back to whatever is comfortable for them. So you want to make the new agreements, the new habits stick to stick. And and yeah. is, there, is there some tips um, that you can use to make that stick? Um, I know you said story um, and agreement, but is there like uh, things that you could perhaps put something, a mission statement or something, um, you know, where they, they hang it up on the wall where it's in a common area. So it reminds people we agreed on X and therefore. Yeah, well, I would say I would say more than a mission statement would be have your values on the wall so that because those are the mission statement is more aspirational. Uh, and a little bit lofty values are a little more they should be a little more tangible and easier to tie motivation to this is what's important to me so i want to make choices based on what is important to me versus you know i want to eradicate hunger in the world there's no necessary roadmap to that lofty statement it's it's harder to then translate that into so not properly filing this document with the correct name it's hard to sometimes it feel it might feel a little abstract like that my my failing to properly label the file and put it where it belongs i don't see how that negatively impacts you know solving world hunger right. it might be a little abstract for people as opposed to if one of my core values is using my time as effectively as I can every day. It's easier to be able to tie that to a concrete task of, so it makes more sense for me to spend the 15 seconds now to rename this file and put it where it belongs than to just leave it on my computer desktop and lie to myself and say, later, I'll put it away when I have more time. Because you'll you might need that file and you're not going to know when you're going to need the file and the fact that you can't find it in the moment you can easily trace that right back to oh i'm out of alignment i'm out of integrity with my value i need to do something with this so for those who run a business where should they be posting that outside somewhere in the hallway or um let's say in the common area of their office so that everybody oh, in the you, members sure. can see. I think it would be great to put it on, it would be great to put it someplace prominent. I would also probably make it everybody's screensaver so that every time your computer falls asleep, instead of looking at pretty pictures of somebody on, uh, you know, on their vacation, they actually, the, the core values of the business pop up in front of them to remind them. There's lots of clever ways you could you could do that. You can memorialize it on a keychain. You could, you know, I mean, it depends on your business and what makes sense for where you can put it. But I would look for all of the clever places you could put it. You could put it on the inside of the microwave. You could put it on the inside of the refrigerator. You could put it above the coffee maker. Now, again, people will become 
uh, inured to seeing it over time. So you'll want to, if, if that's a practice of yours as the CEO or the COO of a company, you'll want to continue to come up with clever ways to remind people and put them in front of their faces. And you could, I mean, I would suggest that you do some sort of drills, you know, not like fire drills, but some sort of drills at, at uh, weekly meetings or something to keep them present and to shout out uh, or call out people who have done something exceptionally well in alignment with a particular value so that all of your behavior when you're together as a team reinforces we are living by these values. I am living by them and modeling them as the CEO or as a leader in the organization. And I'm shouting out my colleagues every time they do something exceptional that demonstrates that they're really living by these values too. The more you fold it back into the culture, just like when you're folding a batter and baking, the more likely it is to to infiltrate all of the nooks and crannies and become part of the living, breathing culture of the organization instead of five platitudes that you've slapped up on the wall that people ignore because they've stopped looking at that. Well, I love that suggestion of putting it where someone, where the members of the team or even the family members um, in a home can see what is in alignment with everybody's values um, and and remind them on a continual basis, whether, you know, it's over a dinner table or a conference room to let them be clear on, you know, achievement of aligning with with what is most important. Um, can you give us maybe, um, I don't know if there's a time to give us top 10 or even top five tips that you have for increasing um, the uh, productivity inside, uh, whether it's uh, in your office or your home, um, that you uh, see as the most um, important uh, things that we should be looking to do to um, that we could do even on our own or with the help of a coach like yourself. Sure. Well, let's talk about the seven deadly time thieves and then we'll drill down into just a couple of them. So we've got overcommitting, which is basically people pleasing. We've got uh, email, we've got meetings, we've got procrastination. We have multitasking, we have interruptions and we have, um, Poor planning. So poor planning, it's, it, we don't really have enough time to get into that. I'm just going to mention it as something that we want to plan better. We want to make sure that we have a good plan, that it's based on math and logic, and it's easy to implement. Uh, when it comes to overcommitting, if you're a people pleaser, you need to be aware that promising to do more than you can do is not a winning formula, even though you think it is your winning formula. Uh, when it comes to multitasking, we just need to be super clear that there is no, there's no, you can't actually multitask. There's all the brain science is in it. You, you can't bake a cake and do open heart surgery at the exact same time. You can do them sequentially, but you can't do them simultaneously. So we want to be super clear that multitasking is just one of your 200 lies. And if it's on your resume, just take it off because it's bullshit. You, you can't, you, you can't multitask. So now we're down to procrastination meetings interruptions and uh, uh, email. We'll, interruptions, we've talked a little bit about them as they relate to, 
to distractions and also interruptions. The, the best thing to do is to talk about shifting the culture around interruptions so that people are less likely to walk up to you and say, hey, I'm so sorry to bother you, because if they were sorry to bother you, they wouldn't be bothering you. That's just, again, they're just out of integrity. And if the culture is one where that's accepted, then you need to change the culture. I really want to talk about emails and meetings uh, primarily, and then we'll talk about procrastination. We'll pick that up at the, at the tail end. When it comes to emails, the number one thing that I can suggest to people is only read email when you have the time to answer it. You know, read it and answer it. If you don't have time to answer it, you're, you're just wasting the time reading it. At best, you are going to have to read it again when you do have time to answer it. At worst, you're going to read something that upsets you. Now you can't concentrate on what you have to do, and you don't have time to reply to it. So you've knocked yourself off the beam, and now you're just in an emotional funk over the content of something that you have no ability to address in real time. So that's the number one tip that I would tell people. The other thing that I would say around email is, don't read and answer email throughout the day unless it's your job description. Chances are it's low priority. It's just communication. And we've lived for at least 100 years with the mail, the snail mail, coming once a day and then responding to a piece of mail, and nobody died as a result of it. So this idea that just because something lands instantly in your inbox, you must immediately respond to it like it's a, it's a game of ping pong is baloney. You don't have to do that. Uh, when it comes to meetings, I will suggest that uh, the two things that are the most important to do is uh, call standing meetings whenever you can. And I don't mean recurring meetings. I mean meetings where people have to stand. If you don't invite people into a conference room, give them Danish and coffee and let them spread out. If you make them stand up around a high table, they will cover everything on that agenda as quickly as they possibly can because they want to go sit down someplace. So you will move through your agenda. You'll have everybody's attention much, much better, and you'll get in and out of that room much quicker. No meeting should go longer than 60 minutes, 90 minutes at the max. Do not call back-to-back -back meetings ever. If you are not in a position to call meetings and you are just attending the meetings, you should push back. And if you are setting up meetings, you should never schedule back-to-back -back meetings. Because, again, the truth about that is that the first 15 minutes of the next meeting, you're still synthesizing everything from the last meeting. So even though you're physically there, you're not mentally there. You would be better off telling the truth and saying, look, I will be there in body, but I will not be there in mind. We might as well just wait those 15 minutes so that anybody who was in the previous meeting has time to synthesize it, figure out what they need to do, and then they can walk into the next meeting prepared to be there. And the last thing that I would say is make sure that any agenda for any meeting is distributed at least 24 hours, but preferably 48 hours before the meeting so that people have time to prepare for the meeting. Too often people walk into a meeting, they say, hey, can I see the agenda? They have no idea what they're coming into, so they are not prepared, and then they just make stuff up. And I don't want your best guess. I've called a meeting because I want your best work. So I want you to have enough time to plan what you want to bring to the table rather than just making stuff up. I don't care how talented and creative you are. Whatever you make up is not going to be as good as something that you've revised three or four times and refined prior to walking into the room. So those are my suggestions for emails and meetings. And then let's talk about procrastination for a quick second. And the, I'll cut right to the chase. The number one way to deal with procrastination is to eat 
the frog. And if you're not familiar with that expression, it was coined by Mark Twain and then made popular by a colleague of mine, Brian Tracy. The idea is, it's a metaphor, if you eat a live frog first thing in the morning, the rest of the day gets better. And that just, that just translates into do the thing that is the most distasteful to you first. You're going to get the biggest reward from it, and it's going to propel you into the rest of the day. Instead of dragging around the thing that you need to do the longest, because that's the irony about procrastination. The thing we want to spend the least amount of time with, we end up spending the most amount of time with. So those are some tips for you. I highly agree. I'm smiling and nodding again. Um, and uh, it's been really valuable to have you on this show because I think that it's helping a lot of people out there. So, Andrew, um, how can people get in touch with you? so that um, they can, uh, you know, stay tuned to things that you have to offer or maybe um, work with you. Sure. So they can easily connect with me on LinkedIn. It's Andrew Mellon, and Mellon is spelled M-E-L-L-E-N. So you can find me on LinkedIn. You can certainly follow me on Facebook or Twitter, uh, Instagram. I'm on all of those platforms. Um, I, you can send me an email at hello at andrewmellon.com. You can uh, certainly subscribe to my YouTube channel. I've got about 12,000 subscribers there. Uh, it's Because I worked in the theater for so many years, video is a particularly strong medium for me. And so I, I, I put a lot of content there. You can certainly subscribe to my podcast, Unstuff America, which we're just getting ready to, to start season two of. Uh, you can certainly, as you mentioned, uh, read uh, my book, Unstuff Your Life, or if you're moving or you know anybody who's moving, The, uh, the Most Organized Man in America's Guide to Moving. And, uh, and you can find me online at andrewmellon.com. So those are all ways. And I'd love to hear from anybody. I mean, I'd love to certainly uh, either one-to-one, one-to-many, to be able to help move the needle for any uh, person in, a, in their home or in their office or at their company to really be able to – to maximize their productivity. The things that I've shared with everybody tonight are relatively simple. They might not be easy, but they are relatively simple. And that is one of the things that really appeals to me about this work is that it isn't rocket science that I'm trying to get people to understand. It's just a reframing of how we think about stuff and how we think about math and time. So again, if you've got a story that says, oh, you know, I'm just not good at math, I'm a creative person, the math that I'm talking about is dime store math. If you can walk into uh, a bodega or a 7-Eleven and buy a pack of chewing gum and count your change and make sure that the math adds up, you can do the math that I'm talking about because it's two-digit or three-digit math at the most. 60 minutes in an hour, uh, 12, 24 hours in a day, 168 hours in a week. This is math that anybody can manage. Certainly anybody who's gone to third grade or fourth grade can do the math that I'm talking about. And living in the math and getting out of the story, is it, it's, it is a passion of mine, is helping people to reframe their mindset so that they can really maximize their productivity and accomplish the things that they want to accomplish because we're here for a finite period of time. And I would hate for somebody to get to the end of their life and think, God, I want a do-over, man. I did not realize that this was how I was spending my time and this is where I was going to end up. I want to go back and do it differently. I don't want anybody to get there and have that regret. Well, thank you very much for being on our show tonight. We run out of time. And um, thank you so much for the tips that
did give us. And uh, we hope that some people will follow along and, um, you know, go to your website and also your your YouTube and uh, other resources that you gave us tonight. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning into The Balanced Millionaire with your host, Eileen Mendel, business consultant, multimedia marketing expert, renowned speaker and author. Connect with Eileen Mendel, The Balanced Millionaire. Increase your confidence, creativity, balance, awareness, direction, motivation, and catapult your business to the next level and beyond.